This is a Cherish podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. I'll be taking you for an inside look behind the glamorous facade of the interior design industry. At a time when every aspect of the business, from sourcing to trends to marketing to dealing with clients, is undergoing rapid change. How does a designer become a brand? How do certain designers end up with lines of fabric, furniture, trims, tableware, and even scented candles? More often than not, they have advice and help from someone like my guest, Kate Verner, whose firm, Kate Verner & Associates, has worked with some of today's top talents, including Barry Dixon, Cloda, Laura Carrar, and Frank Pontario, to expand their portfolios, heighten their public awareness, and establish them as viable and profit-making brands. Welcome, Kate. Thank you for having me, Michael. So glad you're here. I'm also so pleased to have with us one of Kate's clients, the super talented Alexandra Champalimode, whose firm Champalimode Design is responsible for numerous iconic restaurants and hotels, including the Raffles Hotel in Singapore, the Four Seasons in Jakarta, and Troutbeck in Armenia, New York, which I've actually been to, unlike the previous two, and it's an amazingly beautiful place. Alexandra has designed beach resorts and residential developments, as well as clean-lined and elegant residences in Manhattan, Vail, and Montana. She's also created a line of furnishings and printed leathers for Bill Amberg Studio and rugs for the Rug Company. Hello, Alexandra. Hello. Such a pleasure to be here. So I wanted to get started, Kate. Everybody in the business knows that you are one of the few people who can really change their careers and expand their careers. So I'm sure that you have designers coming up to you all the time, approaching you about working with you and all of that. So my question to you is, how do you decide who to work with? And how do these manufacturers and larger companies decide which designers they are willing to work with? What are the criteria you look for? Oh, well, so... Yes, it is true. We do get lots of inquiries, lots of people who want to be a star. And you'll get more after this podcast, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, wonderful. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that the business has really changed from when I started in it 20 years ago, working with Cloda. When Cloda and I were working together, it was more about what her true business needs were in terms of what her projects required. So we would search out the appropriate partners. For a while, licensing then became much more about marketing. It was more about building brands. The offering wasn't even maybe as important as who the designer was. And you know, So they would just of, sign their name to product? It was a little more about trademark licensing right. for a while. There's been a shift again now where it's you have to truly be talented. You have to bring original intellectual property or as IP as we refer to it. And you have to be willing to meet your partner more or less halfway. So it's not about just handing off a napkin sketch and saying, develop this. You actually have to come to the table with new and innovative ideas. You have to have the actual goods with you. Right. And you have to be able to bring drawings and rendering. Like, this is a pretty ads. fabric. I'd like to do this in a different color, a different scale. And please, can I have a fabric line? 10 years ago? Absolutely. Today, not so much. Okay. Do you think that's because there's much more competition in the marketplace? Absolutely. Brands are savvier? Yes. I think brands are savvier and there's a lot of confusion in the marketplace with manufacturers vetting the design trade. And I will say social media has a lot to do with that. 
since people can control how their brand looks on the outside very easily through social media, some folks look a lot larger than they are or much more accomplished than maybe they really are on the inside. So brands turn to us because we work with designers. We also work with manufacturers to sort of help demystify the landscape of who really can deliver versus whose skill set might not be as developed. Right, right. Alexander, I'd love to know how your association with Kate came about because you do beautiful homes, but you're largely known for your incredible hotels, restaurants, hospitality. So I'd love to hear how you two met each other and also what, Alexander, what you were hoping to get out of your association with Kate and her firm. Well, first of all, it was a complete joy meeting Kate. And it was a sort of love at first sight. She has a great reputation. and That's true. Frankly, I'm not cynical at all. Uh, but I've been through a lot of starters and ideas that go nowhere. People and, who talk the big talk. Oh, yeah. Well, not only them. You know, it's a combination. And what are perhaps the the stage of my career and the, the Champalimo itself, Champalimo design, at what level we were 20 years ago as to what we're like today in terms of what we're producing and so on and so forth. How much so, bigger is your staff today than it was 20 years ago? Oh, my gosh. Well, it's it started super- with two, and now we're about 50. Well, that's so. quite an increase. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, so Kate came along at just the right time. One of my partners, Anna Bieber, was very instrumental in setting up this arrangement, and it worked perfectly and has worked perfectly for both of us, I think. And how long have you two been working together? Just over five years. Okay. Yeah. All right. And, Kate, what was the plan? What were the objectives? What did Alexandra ask you about that she would like you to do for her? Well, first and foremost, it was a little bit about understanding the business opportunity Mm -hmm. that Alexandra's business was engaged in, because there are several disciplines that they work across the board. You obviously mentioned quite deeply the hospitality Mm -hmm. and food and beverage side of the business, but then there is still a large piece of the business that's single-family residential. Right. So for us, it was about getting under the hood, if you will, and understanding what the breakdown of those two sides of the business were. Yes, the hospitality side of the world can be a big business, but the clientele that Alexandra's firm caters to on the single family residential is quite significant with each one of their projects. Right. So it was about looking at the relationships that they had within the community with the vendors that they went to most. It was about crafting some high-level relationships with a couple of vendors that sell more at the gallery level so we could be servicing her single-family residential business. And then it was also about studying the hospitality business and looking for the right projects where we could start to insert some of her own intellectual property with the right manufacturers. Right, right. So, Alexander, what in terms of products, what were you really hoping to get more into? I mean, I know you... You had your rug company collection. Are there products that you were longing to design or you fit within your portfolio that things that you were looking for in the marketplace but couldn't find? I must say that I do enjoy designing pretty much anything. And we are used to designing every single piece of furniture in our, in, in our projects. Mm-hmm. So we have great breadth and great depth. And 
what I wanted to do more than anything else is to become more that we we often create beautiful product, but to actually bring it to the market somehow. Right. And so the ambition came but the moment I was able to share what, what we do and what we produce with the public through Kate's good connections and, of course, a reputation that we had happily acquired and that was quite positive, then I, w- I started seeing the ability to, to present our work and the, the variety of our engagements at the moment and, and actually the relationships we have with different companies varies enormously. And as you rightly state, the work of Champalimont is our hotels, multifamily residential, restaurants, private homes, product precisely. And the product, I think, I think that there's been a storyline. You know, we did start with the rug company and with uh, fabrics with Holland and Cherry, and it's it's evolved and. Last fall, we had a wonderful collaboration with Charles Bernand, who is a sort of a wonderful gallerist in London. And we designed specifically for Salon last year three pieces that were absolutely glorious. And they are so, sort so of those are, on the cake. So those are pieces that would be specially commissioned as opposed to something that's made by a company. They are numbered in a numbered edition, right? A limited edition. So it's a slightly um, more elevated way of approaching licensing. Right. And it's, it's like Alexander was saying different levels and different, like the rug company is a bigger, much bigger company than some of the other companies. So Alexander, do you feel that having launched this association with Kate and her firm for five years, is that partly to raise your visibility so that you would get a higher level of clients or was that not an issue? You already had a high level of clients. I think we do have a very high level of clients, but Kate is the ultimate professional and she knows her, her world extremely well and better than I do mm-hmm. and how to navigate it. In right. fact, so both of us, we all take lessons. Those of us who still have maybe one inch of humility somewhere in my <laughs> my, oh, I'm sure you have a little bit more than that, Alexander. Do, I know just you. Happily, <laughs> a little bit. Right. That comes in useful. So I listen to very smart people, and Kate is one of them. And she has done nothing but advise us very carefully. And 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 there isn't a product or an angle or a, a goal. She, we share the same goal for each product that we're designing, which has a number of factors that are particular to that to that piece or to that group of objects or she, she knows how to manage the market and how to right. and how to understand it and right. and therefore her her advice is absolutely um, worth a, a tremendous amount right. right and one of the things that impressed me about you Kate is that you have an understanding that designers like to work at all levels like for example Alexandra she'll do Raffles in Singapore, which is rather large, and then Troutbeck, which is so intimate and in a totally different style. And you don't plug her into one thing or one kind of approach. And how do you work with designers in terms of that? I mean, deciding what 
what's worth them spending the effort, you know, because all most designers are very, very busy. So how do how do you work with them on that? Right. As we say, is the juice worth the squeeze? Um, <laughs> you so, never heard that expression. Oh, I love yes. that. I love <laughs> we're getting that. t-shirts made. Yeah. And hashtag we're cheaper than a mistake. Those are our two <laughs> things. So I think that what's really important to understand is when you're engaging our services, it's not a one size fits all type of solution. The strategy that we write for each of our clients ranges and is is solely based in what their interior design or architectural design practice is actively engaged in. So someone like Alexandra, when I met her, she obviously already had a couple of licenses. Right established and and perking along, we were brought in and some of the first things we worked on with her were just making sure the rules of engagement for those contracts were crystal clear and that they still fit the activities that we were doing in some cases, you know, with the rug company that had been since the 90s. So going back through that and adapting our contract so that it fits the business she's in today and isn't limiting right. her. And work for the rug company as well. Oh, absolutely. Well, right. for the rug company, they sell a lot of Alexandra's rugs. Right. So But it is really about making sure that the designers that we work with have some latitude in terms of what they're designing and who they're partnered with and isn't limiting that business. A designer's currency are their ideas. That's their intellectual property. And partnering them with brands that don't limit their currency. So both partners need to be able to expand and have a great experience. Right, grow together. Grow together. With Alexandra's business, it was interesting because like I said earlier, there's these disciplines and yes, the multifamily is a very important piece right now because every developer that's out there is looking to marquee their project with a designer's name. And what's the best way to bring that experience through is to have Alexandra and her firm design products specifically for that project. And the beauty of something like that is multifamily projects come with lots of quantity. So I can immediately look at bespoke plumbing, bespoke lighting, bespoke wall covering or hardware. Because it amortizes the cost, right? If it you're amortizes the cost. 450 lighting fixtures, Correct. it's going to be a lot less than if you're ordering five. Correct. So for a multi-family building where we have to put, you know, master baths, powder rooms, dual mm-hmm. kids' bathrooms, all of this, that's a that's a healthy order for us to bring to a manufacturer. And at that point, we want to work and partner with manufacturers who want to have long-term relationships with us. And that will allow us latitude in designing things that are specific to those projects and will compensate us for our original ideas. Because, you know, for many, many years, and Alexandra has been in on the hospitality side for long enough to know When you're working with many companies, the specification that they're asking for, they'll just run and take it to wherever to get it made. Maybe the designer's involved, maybe the designer's not. Sometimes they'll just work off whatever imagery is supplied. When we're working more in the capacity that I'm describing, the designer is more involved in signing off on the design, making sure that it hits all the standards that they want and aesthetically looks the part. And of course, then there's performance. We need all of that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's through a license. That could be through private label. Right. So Alexandra, her firm, Champalimo Design, does 
work in both capacities. We have relationships with some firms, manufacturers, where it's about licensing. And then we have other experiences where it's more about bespoke product launches. Because one plumbing company doesn't, we just introduced a collection with Callista, Mm -hmm. um, which is a line of plumbing and accessories. Of course, it was like the end of March, right when the pandemic hit. Perfect timing. I know, perfect timing. (laughs) We all learned how to use Zoom very quickly and had Zoom cocktail hours and all sorts of things with, um, with Callista to promote it. And it was very much a hospitality product line that we were launching. You know, it's a minimum order of five pieces. It could be for a single family home. It can be for a boutique hotel. It could be for large scale hospitality or even multifamily. It doesn't matter. But the point is, is Callista might not be the only partner that we would work with. You know, if we're working on something much higher level or much lower level, we might have to partner with other firms, but we would give different IP to solve those design. Right. And that solves the problem of exclusivity. Correct. Because I imagine that some firms want exclusive contracts. Is that an issue? And not not just with Alexander, but I mean, in general, with other designers you've worked with. Sure. I mean... The United States has been notoriously greedy, I will say, with the design community about trying to require exclusivity from the designer for an entire category. Um, That was something that was very popular in the 90s and early 2010s. What I think we've been trying to teach for the last decade to the American design trade is exclusivity, look to the European brands that are out there. I mean, look at Patricia Urquiola. She works with every bath right. company, every upholstery company. Exclusivity. Salone and every just every firm has one Patricia Urquiola design. It's really Correct. true. Correct. That's true. And Pierre so, Lissoni, and we could go on and on. Exactly. Right. So we have been trying to help the American design community and manufacturers understand there actually is no benefit to the exclusivity. I'll give you the design exclusively, but I can't give you my designer exclusively in a whole category unless you're telling me that there's a revenue stream there that's going to make it worth our while. I also don't think it really is the way the design world is working right now. I mean, if you look across fashion and you look across home, and home is notoriously behind fashion. Some people say five years, seven years, maybe 10. Right, right. But it, there really is something to be said about having Alexandra do a lighting collection with Charles Paris and then also have a lighting collection with Visual Comfort, which, by right. the way, will be debuting in 2021. Oh, fantastic. Congratulations, yes. Alexandra. Thank you. Well, looking wonderful. forward to it myself. Yeah. Even when having this discussion with Andy Singer, I said to him, you have to be cognizant that Alexandra works across this incredible spectrum. And he was like, I see absolutely no problem with that. You know, let her do all these great things, you know, with European vendors. And as far as he saw that, that was a benefit to visual comfort. So I think we're having some successes with the business starting to see that that hampering designers and limiting them is actually not a great thing and letting them sort of stretch their wings and be able to push themselves out across the community and worldwide really makes a lot of sense and helps all the brands in hand be stronger together. Hi, everybody, and thanks for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying the Cherish podcast. My name is Anna Brockway, and I'm the co-founder and president of Cherish, and I'm just going to take a quick second to give you the inside scoop on our Cherish trade program. 
Professional designers are invited to join our program to access really great benefits like net pricing and a special trade-only customer service team. And new this year, we're introducing a loyalty program where designers earn $75 in cash for every $5,000 they spend on Cherish. We hope you'll join us. You can do so by visiting cherish.com backslash trade. That's C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H dot com backslash trade. Now back to the show. Now, Alexandra, have you seen the nature of your staff and your team change and evolve since you've been working with Kate for the past five years? Well, Kate is definitely a catalyst, a catalyst to improve what we do in this specific arena. So the, we did start with a short, very small group of two or three people. But one thing that we've learned is that we have a lot of work that we have created going back as well as new ideas moving Oh, in your archives, for example. Yes. So those are often inspiration, if not actually used, but they are very much inspiration for what we're, what we're creating today. And of course, we've evolved internally with technology. We have amazing equipment to develop all these very complex designs, which we do ourselves, as opposed to, but of course, Kate can provide that service when we need it too. But we, we've done a lot of that on our own. And it's been very exciting to be part of the process because we start with a simple idea and we start turning this sofa or this chandelier or this whatever it is we're designing it sort of in 360 degrees all the, in every form, in every direction. And I think we design better and better with all of this technology. And Michael, we did hire two industrial designers when Alexandra and Anna and I sort of set the strategy and set the stage and started actively promoting and going after the targeted vendors we wanted to work Mm -hmm. with. We absolutely did bring on two additional industrial designers to help take because the intellectual property that Alexandra had, we call it an IP harvest. We went through so much, so much of her archives. There's so much to work with, but some of it needed to be, you know, updated and evolve. We use of course, all sorts of computer-assisted design programs, including SolidWorks, which is an engineering program, so that we can model things and look at things and we get things 3D printed. And, you know, it's the whole process at this point. So that when we're working with these manufacturers, we're coming to the table with our ideas already pretty far realized and able to have constructive conversations about um, manufacturing. In terms of the market... How does that work? Obviously, Kate, you have a sense of the market from all your different contacts, all the designers you work with, all the brands you work with. Do you go to a designer, and this is just hypothetical, go to a designer and say, look, I know there's holes in the market. There's not enough good lighting or there's not enough good flooring materials. I would love to have you think about that. Or do the manufacturers come to you and say, we're desperate for somebody who could help us with our range of rugs or our range of uh, drapery hardware or whatever it might be. How does it work? Or is it both or back and forth? It could go either way. I mean, again, we're not agents. We're not going out and cold calling vendors looking to pair Alexandra mm-hmm. with, you know, right. random 
folks. Yeah, you don't it's need very, to do that. No. Well, <laughs> it's very much about a study of her business. And if I see that her multifamily business has that opportunity to be specifying in any given year, a million dollars of lighting, I'll look to their reports through whatever program they're using and go, wow, you guys have specified a lot of lighting from this particular vendor, or you have ordered a lot of product from this particular vendor. Where is all that going? What's this, what's this sort of sweet spot there? Is it pricing? Is it quality? Is it yeah, why know, do you love ease this of manufacturer? communication? Correct. Right. Right. So that can lead to some easy conversations to start with folks. But Yes, really, if you give somebody a million dollar order, they're a little more likely to take your call, I would imagine. <laughs> especially in the last seven months. It's yes, amazing what exactly. you can get done right now. But typically, I don't just start with, gosh, Alexandra, you have such a unique point of view in lighting. Let's design 39 pieces of lighting for visual right. comfort. That's not right. where it starts. Right. It starts out of what her firm's needs are and what they're specifying and then backing into that and then studying the marketplace to understand who the right vendors are from a quality perspective, making sure. I mean, it's any mixture of those things. Often, her firm has great relationships with those folks already. So it's an easy conversation. Right. Hey, we're right. looking at this. We, we want to have a conversation. Right. Um, Occasionally, there will be a target where, you know, we'll identify that there is an opportunity in the marketplace. And then that's, we approach that a little differently. Right. And a lot of vendors do reach out to me and, and say, we're looking for a designer that can fill this for us. Right. And before I just run out the door and do it, I have 10,000 questions for them about why they think that's the right answer right, and, what and they're looking for. Right. who they think they're targeting for right. what, because right. sometimes right. manufacturers don't even really understand who they're selling to. Right. They think right. the design trade is this big mass of people out there. They don't right. realize the spectrum and the segments of the design trade. Right. And Alexandra, was it a surprise to you going a going through your archives and seeing how much work you had done over the years and B, how much money you had spent with certain firms. I imagine that was an eye-opener. It's been an overwhelmingly big eye-opener. But I, I could feel it over the years. I could feel the potential of what we were doing for others exclusively because I was selecting pieces that didn't belong to me in any way other than that. And, and, they, were, and they were original and and different and special. And I started thinking, I got quite frustrated for many years, actually, because I was aware of what was going on and I was unable to actually leverage myself into a place where we could do it. We could hire people, we could hire Kate and we could have, and we could focus our time to it, which, you know, it requires a lot of time. Right. And, right. um, and capital, you know, yes. it needs, it needs both. Yes, and it's an investment. And and so you, you don't do it when you first start out unless you're extremely lucky. And I must say, life and work and the market is quite different today from what it used to be. Even 20 years ago, there's been a tremendous change and things are much more possible to be made. Your connectivity is much, much greater. You can, you, you can reach the company, the people who you want to deal with much more directly. And of course, it hasn't been negative having become better known as a firm. The name Champalimo is is important today right. and it means a lot to a lot of people. Right. 
in terms of the lesser known younger designers, how do you decide who to work with? Because as you sort of intimated, in this age of social media, there is a bit of smoke and mirrors. And, you know, people can present themselves in ways that maybe don't accurately totally reflect reality. So how do you decide when you're approached or when you hear about a designer that everyone's raving about or whatever? Because like the fashion business, we're very much about what's new, who's next, that kind of thing. Yeah. Maybe on a slower scale, which is not a bad thing than fashion. But how do you decide who you might be interested in working with? So there's a number of elements that come into play for us to make sure that we can help someone. First of all, we won't take anyone unless we actually truly think that we can help them. Mm -hmm. Second, they need to want to meet us halfway in terms of engaging with our services. If someone's in a big rush to engage us only to have me say, this isn't the right project for you. I think you should skip this one or they're not the right partner for you. And they insist, yes, yes, yes. Then they're not a match right. for us. I would rather keep my designers or my the talented folks that we work with out of something that might not be to their benefit in the future. So you have to be prepared to sort of like work with us and listen to the reasoning behind it. Right. As you said, you're cheaper than a mistake. Cheaper than a mistake. <laughs> and then also I think there's, the gift of time. I mean, many younger designers reach out to us. I would rather give them and mentor them with, you know, some information and get them into the fold and then have them come back to me in a year or three years. I mean, that has happened. Frank Ponterio, the first time he reached out to me, I was like, whoa, dude, like you're cool, but like, you're not there yet. Your firm is, is, is ramping up. And then five years later, you know, we're launching Arteriors. We launched Averitt, Arteriors, Clarence House. I mean, lots of wonderful opportunities came, but it didn't come in a 12 month period. Right. That was over the course of, I met him, then five years went by, and then we've worked together for the last almost five years to make all of that happen. And throughout that time, there was conversation and check-ins, you know, is this the right thing for me? Is this not the right thing for me? So I'm a big proponent of helping to give some information away to help people foster successful and happy careers. But there's no overnight sensations. Oh, God, no. This is definitely a marathon. This might even be an ultra marathon. I mean, mm-hmm. it just moves. Product development in itself is just a slow-moving animal. I mean, right. Alexandra knows firsthand to put a lighting to collection together takes a year to a year and a half. Our um, Holland and Sherry product development, it just takes time to work with these mills and with these factories right. and, you know, and to get- staff the- as well. As you were saying, Absolutely. you need to have a sufficient team to work on all of these things. It's like, I can imagine it's not that hard. I mean, it would be for me, but I imagine for a designer, it's not that hard to come up with like 10 fabrics or 10 designs for fabrics that they like, but a consistent line, updating it and all that, it takes a lot of work. Alexandra, how much of your staff is devoted to your products percentage-wise? More regularly than others, there are about four people. Um, but there's contribution that comes from the entire firm. Right. And to that point, 
Alexandra mentioned Anna Bieber. Anna is, we, we joke, she's the director of the products division, obviously, mm-hmm. but she's also my best sales girl. So she goes around to all the desks with all the new products that have come out and sort of is like, have you seen our new rugs? Have you seen our new fabrics? <laughs> and, and there will be those moments where she'll like email me or text me and be like, I think I just made a sale. That's and I'm so like, great. you're my best sales girl. That's Keep so going. Great. That's great. Now, one of the things that you had mentioned when we were talking once before, Kate, was that younger designers should, in a way, concentrate their resources. Because we talked about before, when you're making a million-dollar order from a manufacturer, they're more likely to listen than if you have 10 people that you do $10,000 orders from. So would you talk a little bit about long-term thinking for some of these younger designers, what they should be thinking about or how they should approach design as a business as opposed to just a creative Yes, this is like my favorite topic to talk about. You oh, know, I'm glad I asked them. Many designers come to me and say, you know, I'm just not making enough money in my interior design practice. And, you know, I think I'm going to get into product. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm That's laughing. not the right answer. <laughs> I am laughing. I, I know. Alexandra's <laughs> like, are you kidding? And she's like at the top of her game. Mm-hmm. So uh, product is not a, a get rich quick, you know, this is my exit strategy. It's definitely about creating another business that can run parallel to your business so that you can have your projects, have your products, and thus mm-hmm. create a more complete experience through your brand. But um, yeah, the, the importance of the interior design trade, recognizing that with each project that they take with a client, meaning interior design project, okay, you have a $100,000 budget, a $500,000 budget, a million dollar budget, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. How are you spending those dollars to have to strengthen relationships with the vendors that you like their designs or you like their aesthetic? You know, it's all about relationships. And Alexandra and I actually were just talking about this. It's about relationships with people. It's about that trust. It's about respect. So it's about aligning your brand with brands that share those common thoughts and ideas and looking for, you know, listen, today a designer might only be paying, uh, placing a $5,000 order because they're in the infancy of their design right. career. But in 15 years, and that's how long it takes, mm-hmm. you know, they might be spending $500,000 with that vendor. So building that relationship is paramount to a successful licensing career with a brand. I totally agree. But one of the things that interests me is how brands, if we could just switch the focus a little bit, how they go after or decide to team up with certain designers. I shouldn't say go after, but decide to team up. Because sometimes, like I'll hear Alexander has a line of this, and I'll think, oh, that's great. It's going to be beautiful. And other times, and I'm fairly well-informed as design business, I'll hear that a major brand has signed up a designer that I'm not aware of. You know, Now, that's bad on my end. I probably should be aware of this person, but I'm thinking, I wonder how they came up with that designer to do this line of X. Well, and that happens with me too. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I'm like, <laughs> okay, oh, good. I'm I glad really I'm not alone. I this business. Who's that? <laughs> well, there are a few of us out there in the marketplace that do work with manufacturers. I'm sure, you know, I spent the last 11 years working with Arturia's home mm-hmm. to help direct and guide their guest designer program with the owner, Mark Musa, mm-hmm. which changed the face of that business right. completely, not single-handedly at all because of me, right. but just, right. 
further pushing them into the trade side of the business. And, you know, I think we, we did a good job of mixing up and putting a few wild cards in there. I mean, and we've got Barry Dixon, Laura Carrar, we're all over the place. It's fantastic. But with direction, thinking about who each one of those brands speaks to, again, on that spectrum of the interior design community. So when a manufacturer's looking to partner with some someone and we work with a bunch of manufacturers, sometimes we will pick a wild card because we're like, gosh, you sort of have the old guard and then you've got like the sort of of the moment today, hot kid. And like, now we need to go and reach a little deeper into that millennial bucket, mm. which is just that slurry of mystery that we're all trying to figure out right now. <laughs> that world we're still trying to navigate and figure out. But yeah, I mean, I think also sometimes manufacturers are guided by not always the right people. I mean, let's not beat around the bush. Sometimes the presidents of furniture companies that are based outside of major metro cities don't really know the design trade that well. So it can be an introduction from someone they know that leads to a licensing deal. And then they'll bring me in and be like, hey, can you help ink this? And I'm like, who is this person? Where did this come from? They don't even buy from you. Like this isn't, there's no match here. What are we doing? So I think it, it really matters. We try to guide our manufacturer clients to select interesting, diverse designers who are If we want someone that's emerging, we want to make sure that they can deliver true creativity and then sustain it and that their firm is set up to be able to work with us and feed us what they need, what the manufacturer needs, as well as have the ability to commit to the marketing side of it. Because there is a fair amount of FaceTime that has to go into these things, especially now that our markets are disrupted. Right. You know, I spend so much time on Zoom, my goodness. Right. Here you are again. Here we are again. And um, I, I want brands to take risk, but take risk with a designer that can be Calculated additive. risks. Right. But, right. Right. Additive. Right. Now, Alexander, I'm going to ask you kind of an impossible question. <laughs> what would be the one bit of advice that you have learned over your incredibly impressive career that you would give to a younger designer who, who is maybe starting out or has a small team and is doing working on projects? What, what's one thing you've learned over the years that you would pass on to those people? It's, it's not just a one word. It's, it's a little bit more than that. Um, the, the most important thing to remember is that one is really qualified, in my opinion, after a great amount of experience. So there should be a big dose of humility to all of us, even, even at my sort of point in time and where I am working um, and all projects I'm working on, there's a dose of humility. I listen very carefully. And I listen until the person who I'm listening to is exhausted and has, has nothing else better to say. And then I take all that information and turn it into a positive. And usually the idea that I come up with is right on. But it is, it is not just also the listening part. It's the experience part. It's having seen so much worked far and beyond in different countries, different ways of 
of working, different craftsmen. I've had enormous, enormous joy in doing that. But I always dig very deep in every project, in every project in different countries. It is important to to do a lot of research and not just come in and dance around and just splash your your thoughts across a page. I think it needs, as I said, a huge dose of humility. I think that's fantastic advice. And Kate, in terms of your side of things, what would you say to a designer in terms of how will they know when they're ready even to like approach somebody like you? <laughs> Well, approach me anytime and I'll tell you if you're ready. <laughs> yeah, but approach you and get a good answer, a positive response. <laughs> no, I just think that a designer needs to be ready to realize that you're starting another business. I mean, you really are going to be bootstrapping onto your existing practice, especially for the first right. few years, a whole nother startup, which right. comes with a whole other set of you know responsibilities. So you have to be willing to stretch. You have to have that elasticity built into your studio so that if you're barely able to make the deadlines on your interior de- design projects, don't add right. private label and licensing is onto it, it. Not something you dabble with on the weekends. It is not something. It is, it is a commitment. Right. It really is. It's a right. commitment. Right. You have to be ready to dive in and then stay engaged um, for someone who thinks like, great, I got that out. And they have like this wonderful success. Be prepared because if you had that wonderful success, that manufacturer is going to want something and probably within 12 months from you for the next installment. So it's really that machine. So you have to be able to continuously feed the machine. So that doesn't come for the lighthearted. No. I want to thank you guys. This has been so informative. I think one thing we now know is, big surprise, turning your practice into a brand or multifaceted endeavor is no easy task. It doesn't happen overnight. And you guys are, I think, proof of how successful you can be when you are smart and talented. And as Alexandra said, listen, have some humility, and work really, 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 really hard. So thank you for sharing your wisdom with our listeners. And thank you, Alexandra. Thank you, Kate. And thank you all for listening to the Cherish Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Cherish Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or colleague. Or even better, go to the iTunes store and post a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word. And we would love your ideas for future episodes. Please email us at podcast at cherish.com. The Cherish Podcast is produced by Britta Muller and edited by Max Solomon of Hanger Studios in New York. Until next time. Oh, 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 o